My name is Onyango Otieno or Rick's Poet. You're listening to the Afro-Masculinity Podcast. I have a lot to say in regards to the conversation on homosexuality, LGBTQIA, that has been rocking this country for the past one week or so. And by extension, Uganda recently, I think. I, I saw a minister say some outrageous comments the other day. Uh, yeah, I think she, it was a minister who said something akin to who will marry our daughters if we allow all our boys to be gays. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I read an interesting comment uh, on Twitter where somebody was responding to that and said, and, and that is how your boys will continue pretending to be heterosexual and yet they aren't, you know. I actually have a true story from a gay, a male gay sex worker in Harare, Zimbabwe, whose story I will share maybe on the next episode because it's actually in recorded form. And he says he actually interestingly identifies as a Christian and that most of his clientele are married men who come to him not only for sex, but also conversation. They just want to talk, <laughs> you know? So we have a lot of people in our society who are actually gay men. Now, uh, specifically speaking to men, like they are gay, but they are married to women and they have children, but they just can't come out because of the stigma associated with this. And probably they had to marry women because of the social obligation that they had to marry these women to be considered honorable men, you know? And perhaps we also need to go a little deeper to ask ourselves the idea that homosexuality is an African. Where does that idea really come from? Where do we get that idea from? The fact that, oh, this is, we say, oh, this is, it's not in our African values. It's not in our African culture. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure that is true? Really? That homosexuality is an African? That it's not in our African? Because I, I see politicians and people in government saying that all the time. But is it really true? You want to tell me homosexuals never existed in Africa, that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Western import? Really? Homosexuality is a Western import? Is that because that's what you think the Bible brought to tell you that <laughs> this shit is wrong? Uh and uh, white people all of a sudden are telling you that it's right, that it's okay, that homosexuality is okay. So it's white people who said, oh, homosexuality is okay. And in the Bible that they brought, it's also wrong. Where are Africans in that whole conversation? Where are Africans? Because we actually don't know in, in our time today, we don't know that it's the British colony that illegalized homosexuality. 
they describe it as an unnatural act. Those laws didn't exist with us. African people had queer relationships. In fact, if, if I could dare say, I have a problem with the wordings, the way we say straight people, queer people, and all that. Because the politics of the word straightness to refer to heterosexuality means, or in our understanding, we perceive that as being right or clean or proper, or that is the standard. And that anything else that identifies as different, anybody who identifies as not straight is not normal and they should, they should not be accepted, and that they are actually evil, that they don't deserve to live. And then we say, that is nature. Do you really understand how nature works? Nature is very random, random as fuck. If you think of a, a natural forest, trees exist there in very many different species and sizes, you know? And they, they exist within that ecosystem. And no one human being is like the other. Just the same way our fingerprints are different. And so by extension, I actually want to dare say everybody is queer because everybody is strange, because everybody is unique. Why is it that just at the point of sex, that's when we all want sameness? But in these other ways, you know, we, we, we are okay with differences, human beings being different, you know. But then, you see, we have to admit and reflect upon the role of religiosity and white supremacy in shaping these ideas in the time that they colonized us because African cultures definitely were also just as complex as all the cultures of all human beings. And that's not to say that everything was good. I mean, in, in some African cultures, uh, if, if, if a woman gave birth to twins they considered that as a bad omen. So one, one kid had to, to, to be killed. You, do you, you see how crazy that is? And in another culture, I think in Namibia, before a child was born uh, or, or even conceived, the, the woman who was to give birth or when she wanted a child, she would like go somewhere far, like in a forest or something, and, and compose a song for the child, you know? And then she would come and, and make love to her husband. And, <laughs> you know, when, when, when the child is born, she conceived, and, conceived and, and gave birth. The community would gather and sing to this child the song that the mother composed for the child. And whenever this child went astray, according to the community guidelines, or they harmed somebody... They wouldn't punish them. They would gather again and sing this song to the child or to the person 
however old they were. And when this person died, this song was also sung at their funeral. That is beautiful. The Wodabe tribe, I think it's still in Namibia, they have this ceremony where men apply makeup, you know, and they it's like a festival they they parade themselves to be to be chosen by women you know and even married women can show up there and choose a man they want and get away with them like for 7 days and have sex with them so like literally you choose a guy that you liked and you'd get away with them for a, like a week and your husband is still at home <laughs> and life continues <laughs> you know african cultures were complex like we don't have just one particular value we are just as complex as everybody else is and it is also to say that cultures do evolve you know there are certain practices that used to be uh adhered to when when we, back in the day that don't exist today because time has changed so many things have changed but why is it that this particular part about sex and homosexuality is a place we are still struggling with it's very much connected to what white people told us we must be and the religious trauma the deep religious trauma we are still battling with because i wonder man you know the years that i was still active in the church from what i gathered they would say you have a free will god has given you a free will but then this same god wants to control your life as to if you don't believe in him you're going to hell so where is the free will from a very young age you your agency is actually taken from away from you in the context of of the religion and that thing goes to the psyche you actually develop an identity from this indoctrination and you actually end up believing anybody who is different from what you've been taught to be truth is evil you view them as an enemy even when they pose no threat to you because if you asked me we have really great problems in this country in this continent we have really really deeply big 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 massive problems that are structural problems and this little part about few people or anyway however however many they are that identify as queer as gay we want to say ah we we have to make all the noise about it because god does not this god does not that and you know there are so many things that mara god wants mara god does not want um in in that same bible that people are willing to persecute others through <laughs> you know uh god does not love divorce um Apostle Paul said that uh, women should not be heard in the church. Uh 
uh, that a woman in Leviticus, a woman who is going through her menses, I think should not go to the synagogue or something. Uh, or she should be stoned to death. Stuff. Just stuff. <laughs> you know, very violent stuff. You know? And these are ideas that still hold root in many of our consciences. Um, it's time to think and rethink this thing about identity and African culture and our values. We, we really need to think what those things were. Because for me, I feel like a lot of what we understand as African culture today is actually the wisdom that came from the trauma responses that Africans had as a result of the violence of colonial rule. So they had to survive. And a lot of things changed. The way we saw ourselves changed because these people colonized us for a very long time, hundreds of years. They were here for a long time. Definitely, generations down, our cultures must have changed because we had to look for ways to survive the colonial rule. You know? And the colonial rule was deeply patriarchal. And that's not to say that Africans weren't patriarchal before. But this thing became institutionalized. And that's the most dangerous shit <laughs> that we are still handling today. I like thinking of it this way. The individual makes society. So it's the individual that lives for society, not the society living for the individual, you know? And so our individuality does not have to disappear just because we live in a society. What, what is a society? What is a community? What makes up a community? And what agency do individuals have within the, the culture that a community creates for its well-being or its survival? If you want to do different, what is your place in the world? If you are different, what is your place in that culture, in that community? And can we start thinking of culture as something fluid that can expand? It doesn't have to be static, that people can't grow out of it or in it or within it. Because that idea for me the fact that we think culture is something that never evolves actually for me means that people are dying because a thing that does not involve dies. Especially if it involves people, it dies. Things that don't, that, that don't evolve die. It's natural. That's natural. And so I feel like we are very confused about these issues and it is so easy to just fall on religious fundamentalism because it's the easy thing to do. Because also we are acting out of the religious trauma that we are battling with, but we, we don't know. We are not aware of that. In fact, of the 72 countries worldwide that criminalize homosexuality, 32 of them are in Africa, where punishments range from imprisonment to the death penalty in countries such as Mauritania and Sudan. More than half 
more than half of these are former British colonies, where colonial administrators introduced laws prohibit, prohibiting quote-unquote unnatural acts. At a recent Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in London, the then British Prime Minister Theresa May urged Commonwealth nations to reform existing anti-gay legislation held over from British colonial rule. And while stopping short of a formal apology, she used her speech to explicitly acknowledge Britain's responsibility. Her own words, as the United States, as the United Kingdom's Prime Minister, I deeply regret both the fact that such laws were introduced and the legacy of discrimination, violence and death that persists today. Her speech came in the aftermath of a recent court decision by Trinidad and Tobago to decriminalize homosexuality in April 2018. And as shown in a published book titled British colonialism and the criminalization of homosexuality. Many laws that make homosexuality a crime today were imposed during colonial rule or rule by the British Empire. From 1860 onwards, the empire spread a specific set of legal codes and common laws throughout its colonies, among them laws illegalizing male-to-male sexual relations. And that is very specific. Male-to-male what? Sexual relations. There was always this idea that if we control the men, we shall also control the women. Huh? Even when not enforced, such laws prolong the stigma attached to homosexuality and provide a justification for homophobic behavior. Because people get a chance to say, we don't like homosexuals because they are criminals. Africa's elites, which includes political, religious, and community leaders, even this week in Kenyan parliament, you heard them say that Queer people deserve capital punishment. And somebody actually went on to say they don't deserve to live. In the fucking Kenyan parliament. That homosexuality is worse than murder. Do you know how powerful that is? If, if that is heard on a radio, do we, do we understand the repercussions of such words? And if you don't know how powerful that can be, just think of how radio or the media was powerful in the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Somebody just hears that and like, oh, if you if that's our leader and they're saying this is wrong, and it is also written in our in our in our religion that this is wrong, then Anybody amongst us who identifies as this thing that has been identified as wrong deserves death. That is anarchy. And who gives you that moral power to say what is wrong and what is right in regards to people's sexuality? They're not stealing anything from anybody. They are productive members of society. But I know that nervousness that religious trauma causes in us 
because it is in these very texts that we go in search for wisdom in search for solace when our when our emotions are heavy in search for the promise of a good future the the, the promise even of a good afterlife it is in these very texts that are very contradicting in their nature because on one side you're supposed to be loving and very good on this other side you're supposed to be very judgmental and speak for god tell me how the fuck that works and i was there at some point i didn't know how harmful these ideas were because that's the only thing i ever knew nobody ever taught me anything otherwise i knew i had i was a christian i quote and quote had to be saved because salvation was the one thing that would give me my tickets to heaven but then at some point i started asking myself why do i hate queer people why do i hate them what gave me this impression that these people don't deserve to be seen you know we we keep saying it, it, it's a private matter like they're supposed to just keep it to themselves and yet heterosexuality is very loud it's very loud everywhere heterosexuality is very loud and then somebody else asked oh but you know if we legalize this thing then then that will mean that anybody can have sex with anything including animals and i'm like an animal cannot give consent to sex so that also brings in the 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 angle that we don't mostly associate sex with consent so you know we are just confused about this shit <laughs> you know long term zimbabwean leader robert mugabe called homosexuality an african and a white disease Ugandan president Yoweri Museveni has said it's a western import and in the aftermath of the sentencing of some two Zambian gay men in, in Zambia some time back a, a Zambian bishop called for fellow citizens to protect their own values and culture from outside influences which is laughable to me because the version of Christianity he practices is a legacy of outside influences make it make sense fam the mistaken claim that anything is an african is based on the essentialist assumption that africa is a homogeneous entity like you're all the same with how we see life and our cultures mirror each other cultures are different everywhere African history is replete with examples of both erotic and non-erotic same-sex relationships. Like there are ancient cave paintings of the San people near Guruve in Zimbabwe depicting two men engaged in some form of ritual sex. During pre-colonial times, the Mudoko Dako or effeminate males among the Langi of northern Uganda were treated as women and could marry men. in buganda one of the largest traditional kingdoms in uganda it was an open secret that kabaka mwanga too who ruled in the latter half of the 19th century was gay the vocabulary 
used to describe same-sex relationships in traditional languages predating colonialism is further proof of the existence of such relationships in pre-colonial Africa. To name but a few, the Shangaan of Southern Africa referred to same-sex relations as Inkotshane. Basutu women in present-day Lesotho engaged in social sanctioned erotic relationships called Motsoale, I think that's the name, uh, which meant sp- special friend. And in the Wolof language, spoken in Senegal, homosexual men are known as Gordigen, men, men, women, yeah? But to be sure, the context and experiences of such relationships did not necessarily mirror homosexual relations as understood in the West nor were they necessarily consistent with what we now describe as a gay or queer identity, as Dr. Sylvia Tamale writes. Same-sex relationships in Africa were far more complex than what the champions of the quote-unquote an African myth would have us believe. Apart from erotic same-sex desire in pre-colonial Africa, several other activities were involved in uh in in same sex or what the colonialists branded unnatural sexuality for example then the belly in zimbabwe the azande in sudan and congo the nupe in Nigeria, and the Tutsi in Rwanda and Burundi all engaged in same-sex acts for spiritual rearmament, that is, as a source of fresh power for their territories. It was also used for ritual purposes. Among various communities in South Africa, sex education among adolescent peers allowed them to Experiment through acts such as Thai sex. In many African societies, same-sex sexuality was also believed to be a source of magical powers to guarantee bountiful crop yields and abundant hunting, good health, and to ward off evil spirits. In Angola and Namibia, for instance, a cast of male diviners known as Zvibanda, Zvibanda, or Zvibanda, I think, Chibados, Quimbanda, Gangas, and Kibamba were believed to carry powerful female spirits that they would pass on to fellow men through anal sex. This information is available. <laughs> it is not homosexuality that is an African, but the laws that criminalized such relations. In other words, What is alien to the continent is legalized homophobia exported to Africa by the imperialists where there had been indifference to and even tolerance of same-sex relations. And maybe it's high time, man. We questioned all these ideas about who we are and ask who came up with them and for what purpose. It's time to think. And it's time to think really, really hard. If you think about how religion takes agency from a human being, masquerading as a a, a comfort 
or a place where your your future salvation is uh you know uh like the security for your for your future <laughs> that you won't burn in hell if you think about that politically and what the state or how the state uses that as a weapon against its people to keep its people down to keep its people in a place that they always need help that they're not self-sustainable and if you think of it on a higher level where the cor corruption of the west to continue eating from us from our agency then you're going to have to go deep into yourself and ask why am i like this why are these my beliefs because majority of us never get to that point we just go to the nearest reference which has been our identity all this while oh this is unnatural it's the white man who told you that homosexuality is unnatural it's the white man who made it into law it's the white man and mark you actually homosexuality was was legalized even in britain not so long ago maybe some i think it's like some 55 years ago or so it's not so far, so far it's just the other day literally like the the age of our of our independence quote unquote <laughs> so even for them these things it's not like they're so old you know you have to ask yourself why does it ask you so much how other people live their lives outside the parameters of what you think should be true or should be right because nature is random nature is diverse in fact what is diverse diversity is what is natural not sameness we are not all heterosexuals we are not all homosexuals and we are talking about homosexuality uh, we're talking about sexuality in the premise of consent this does not include pedophiles it does not include people who have sex with animals and all that shit no nah. this is about consenting adults it's not about people who abuse others for sex it's not about rape either and also there is so much more to queer people than their sexual orientation so much more what we often want in relationships are the same things they want in relationships with each other they're the same things they want friendship they want security and it's so unfortunate that rightness is often so expected from oppressed groups you know if you're an oppressed group like your space for mistakes is very very limited because people want you to 
overextend yourself to prove your humanity. My friends, if that is not evil, I actually think we need to burn these churches. We need to burn these mosques. And for me, it may not be physically with fire, but with our consciences, with our hearts. Because we are not operating from a place of love. We are not operating from a place of understanding. We are operating from a place of bigotry, from a place of violence. And that cannot be a society that is dignified. Thank you for listening.